Wow. What about that orchestra? Amen. All right. What about that choir? Thank you, choir. I'm going to get one of those CDs. Matter of fact, I already got one. You need to get one of those. It's on there. And so I would encourage you strongly to be blessed and grab one of those CDs, maybe two or three, hand them out. Great witnessing tool as well. You know, we could just really pray and go home. I'm telling you, that was awesome, wasn't it? We already had the offering, amen? (laughs) Are y'all awake, all right? All right, but I'm not. I'm going to preach, amen? I'm studied up and prayed up, and I just pray for the message today that God would speak to our hearts. If you're visiting us today, you're in the right place, first of all. And let me just say that we're in this series in uh, Revelation. We're preaching through the book of Revelation, and we're in chapter 3 today, starting chapter 3. We ended chapter 2 last week. We're talking about the seven churches of Asia Minor. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is addressing the church, and he's using the seven churches of Asia Minor, which represents all the periods of time. And so we're on church number 5 today, church number 5, the church of Sardis. So we're going to talk about the church of Sardis today. And so I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Revelations chapter 3. And as we go through these seven churches, they're more than just history or relics. They're, they're meaningful. As we look upon these, we need to make sure that we're heeding the warnings that Jesus gives to the church, which means to you and I, as we look in the mirror to our own selves, because we are the church. We are Lindsay Lane. Amen? We're Christ's bride and Christ's body. So we're looking at these seven churches, and we're evaluating them and examining them as we examine Lindsay Lane or us. And so we need to do that as we go through this uh, series of Revelation, especially in the seven churches. And so today we're going to talk about Sardis. In uh, verse 1, let me just read the text today in, in, in its entirety. And then we'll comment. And to the angel of the church of Sardis, here's what Jesus said to John to write. This is red letter, Jesus speaking. John's in the spirit on the Isle of Patmos, and you know that. And so, uh, Patmos, and so watch this. These things say he who has the seven spirits of God, that's completeness, that's perfect, the spirit of God, if you will, and the seven stars, which is the seven lampstands. I know your works that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wow. Be watchful, therefore, Jesus said, and strengthen that which remains, that are, that are already are ready to die. Strengthen that what's left, because you're about to die, for I have not found your works complete before God. Remember, verse 3 says, Therefore how you have received and heard, and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few things, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. A few names who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the name before, uh, I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear 
what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, would you speak to our hearts today? Help us to examine our own life. Lord, as we are the body and bride of Christ, and I do pray for Lindsay Lane, Lord, that we would be vibrant, we would be alive in Christ. Christ has made us alive. And I pray, Lord, that we are walking among a lot of dead people here who are dead spiritually. And I pray that we would reflect the love and the grace and the mercy and the salvation that you've given us through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen and amen. Sardis was a very important city, just like the other ones. Uh, Sardis was about 50 miles, if you will, uh, east of Ephesus. It was a major a trade center. It had five roads that joined. You know, over in Huntsville, there's a place called Five Points where they all come together. And Sardis was this uh, great uh, trade center, commerce center, where the roads kind of came together. Now, Sardis was an acropolis in that it was high, about 1,500 feet high. It was on a, it was on a rock wall, kind of, up on a city. And so when the people came by, they could see this great church. And so at one time, it had a great reputation and a great name. But Jesus said, now you're dead. And so what an epitaph for a church, for the Lord Jesus Christ to say that the church is dead. His church, his bride. Man, what a, what a condemnation, if you will, against the church there at Sardis. Now, this, this church was probably during the period that we would, uh, a lot of historians say, around the Reformation period, around 1500, would be uh, equate to this time period of Sardis. You know, Martin Luther broke away from the Catholic Church, and they, they, was by, they had a faith by works, and he said, no, it's a faith by grace. We're saved by faith. And so he kind of broke away, and then over time, uh, it began to court the state. It began to court, just like in Rome, the church began to have Roman influence within the church. And before, before you know it, the church, the state was running the church. And it's kind of what happened. It's kind of what happened here in Sardis. They had left, like the other church in, in Laodicea, they had left their first love. And so we're going to look, I mean, uh, Ephesus had left their first love. And so Jesus had an indictment against this church. He said, you are dead. Look in verse number 3, he, what he says. These things says he who has the seven stars of God and the uh, seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Now, once, time, once upon a time, they were alive, but now they were dying. The church was dying out, and we want to talk about that today. And so, uh, uh, the influence that the church has on the community. Now, we're to influence the, those who are lost in our community, and if we're dead, how in the world are we going to raise the dead if we're dead? How are we going to have our neighbors and our loved ones and our classmates come to church and experience what we just experienced this morning with our choir and orchestra and our graduates and all the things that are happening here at Lindsay Lane, a great church, a vibrant church. But if we're not careful, we'll have a good reputation, a good name, but we can be just like Sardis. We can die if we don't individually cultivate our relationship with Christ if we don't seek the Word of God, if we're not in daily communication with God, we too can die individually, one at a time. And before we know it, the church as a whole is dead. But there's hope for the church. Why? Because Jesus Christ, in verse number 1, He's the one who holds the seven spirits of God. That, that simply refers to fullness and completeness. He is the Spirit of God. So there's hope for the church. 
There's hope for you. There's hope for me, for anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord because he is the Spirit of God. And so there is hope for all of us. Now, I want you to see something, an observation. At the church of Sardis, there is hardly no approval or commendation to this church. He just said, well, there's a few of you who haven't bowed the knee, if you will, or who haven't defiled your garments, he says. But other than that, it's all condemnation. And so uh, it's a really, I told you last week, as we go further in these churches, it gets stronger and stronger and worse and worse. And I think that's what's happened in our land today. We can see how America even is drifting from God. And so the church can drift from God. A lot of churches have. A lot of churches are dead. And so uh, we, don't, we want to look at this today and learn from Sardis and not repeat the same mistakes that Sardis did. Jesus is never, imp- ever, never impressed with a church's programs, policies, and procedures. That doesn't impress God. This great edifice that we have, these facilities, doesn't really impress God. Amen? God's helped us with that. I believe this is the hand of God. We'll talk about it in a moment. But I'm telling you, we're after the heart of God. And so God's not impressed with that, nor is God impressed with a beautiful kept mausoleum full of dead men's bones. God's not into that. God's into what we had this morning, vibrant worship, praising him. And not just lip service. It's got to come from the heart. And by the way, he knows. He knows if you're going through the motions or if we mean what we say and mean what we sing and mean what we proclaim and profess. He knows that. And so God is evaluating these churches. Please understand that. We're getting a chance to look into heaven, if you will, or look into the, to the, to the face of God and see Christ as he gives us these words. We believe they're his inspired words. What happened to Sardis? What in the world happened to this dead church? Well, let's perform a spiritual autopsy this morning. Let's just look at it. I'm going to give you three things in your outline. If you have your outline in the bulletin, follow with me. Number one, Sardis trusted more in their reputation than they did their Redeemer. They were more concerned about their reputation and the name that they had than continuing their fellowship and communication and intimacy with their Redeemer. And so we need to learn from that. The message to Sardis is a warning to all the churches. You can't live on your past glories. Amen? A lot of churches got a lot of rich traditions. I don't know if you're watching the the great uh, royal wedding yesterday morning. I watched it. And a lot of those churches in England where where D.L. Moody or, or where Charles Spurgeon preached, they're now restaurants. And they were filled with people. Charles Spurgeon's preached to thousands, thousands in England. And now they're, they're, they're filled with restaurants and things like that. But I want to tell you something. They got a word yesterday. I'm telling you, that guy preached. I was just amen him at 5 o'clock in the morning. I was sitting there, amen, brother, preach, preach. Son, I'm telling you, Michael Curry shucked the corn. And think about this. I, I, I'm, I don't mean to run this rabbit. Think about how many billions heard a message from God in that royal wedding. People tune in from all over the world. And I'm telling you, God raised up Michael Curry, and he preached the stars down. 
Could, I just enjoyed, I was watching their faces. I watched old Elton John. <laughs> I mean, they had never heard a word like that. Can you see how God can work? It's, I, I was very skeptical when I turned, man, I, even though every one of those priests, man, they were preaching a great wedding. I mean, talking about how, the, the, how marriage is from God and, and how a man and a woman comes together in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was awesome. It really was. I finally just woke Patsy up. Get in there and watch this, man. This is, <laughs> you got to watch it. I'm telling you, I was just fired up. I really was. I mean, I, I would like to meet that Michael Curry. I'm telling you, that man preached. He really did. Where was I? Anyway, and see, a lot of times we get caught up in the traditions. I mean, there was a lot of pomp. There was a lot of pageantry going on at that wedding, wasn't it? Somebody, I heard it, I heard it cost $47 million. And about 40-something thousand was on security. What I read somewhere, somebody told me that. That's a big wedding, isn't it? And it was. See, you can't get caught up in all that traditional stuff. You need somebody like Michael Curry. Amen? That's what it's about. <laughs> it really is. And so this Sardis was, oh, we got a great name. We're a great church. I mean, down through the years, you'll just hear, read our, our record books, and, and you'll read about a history of our great church and how, boy, God has used us in the past. Well, that's well and good, sir, but what's he doing today? What's he doing right now in your church, in your life? And so I really want to speak to this today. And, uh, you know, Lindsay Lane, we have a great tradition. We're almost 30 years old. we got a great tradition. <laughs> we really have. And God has raised this church up. We're so blessed. But I want to tell you something. If we rely on our history and what God's done in the past, we need to be, glorify him for that and, and, and be glad of that. But we've got to move forward. We've got a future ahead of us. Amen. And so we can't get satisfied. We can't get complacent to where we used to be, what we used to be. We've got to go forward, and I thank God that we are. Warren Wiersbe had a great quote. I wrote it in your outline. Look at this. See what he said. It's, a good, it's good to guard our spiritual heritage, but we must not embalm it. Hey, Amen. That's a good word. And so uh, the church appeared to be dynamic. There appeared to be... Uh, uh, alive on the outside, but on the inside, they were dead wood. I mean, they were dead. And so it's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. During my uh, 20th anniversary, uh, they gave Patsy and I a big reception when we were here 20 years. Uh, we've been here 26 now, but our 20th, 20th anniversary, they gave us a reception. And I walked over there, man, everybody was there greeting us, and they had this huge cake. I mean, uh, I know who baked it, but anyway, uh, it was a big cake and had a white icing with red trim around it. I'm just thinking, roll tide, amen. <laughs> I was. I, was, I said, I can't. I told, I, I can't believe she baked this because the one that baked it was Auburn fan. Anyway, and so I said, man, hey, she seemed to like. But anyway, man, we started. I said, told her Patsy. I was kind of nudged Patsy. This cake, look at this cake. And she got the knife and she told her, said, Patsy, why don't you cut it? So Patsy gets this knife, cuts into that cake, and it's orange and blue. (laughs) 
It was rotten inside. I'm telling you, it was. I'm not eating that. No, I did. I ate it. So you can't always go by what's on the outside. Lindsey Lane looks great from Lindsey Lane Road. When you pass by out there, people say, oh, that's a big old church. Man, what a nice-looking church. And, and we take pride in that. But that's not who we are. I tell people all the time, get on the inside. Man, the pastor's country is cornbread. And then you come in here, we're just down-to-earth people. We're not uppity, whatever that means. We're not that. We're not high-hatting you. Amen. We're not going to do that. We're going to shake your hand, hug your neck. I've hugged a lot of necks this morning. I like hugging necks. I get to hug them legally as a preacher. Amen. <laughs> but I, I, I just love people. And, and, and that's what Lindsay Lane's about. But we can't get caught up in what we used to be and what's on the outside. Jesus had a word for the Pharisees, the religious folks of the day. He said this in Luke eleven thirty nine. You Pharisees make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Now, they appear to be very religious, but on the inside, the Lord knew. Amen? And it describes a lot of people, a lot of churches today. The Apostle Paul had something to say about that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. He said, they have a form of godliness they appear to be godly. They have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power. See, when you look at Lindsay Lane, I want to see the power. What are we doing? What are we doing for the Lord? It's one thing to come in and sing and worship and say, oh, what a great service. But what are we doing when we go out there? What kind of impact are we making? Whose lives are we touching? Who are we talking to in gospel conversations? That's what a great church is. It's what we are in here when we go out there. And so I hope the Lord, you know, I'm wondering through these sermons, what would, what would Jesus say about Lindsay Lane? Well, I got some good things to say. But nevertheless, I wonder what that would be, that nevertheless. And so I, I just want us to have power. See, they, these folks were dead. I mean, the wheels were spinning, but the hamster was gone. I mean, he's dead. <laughs> I mean, the wheel's turning, the wheel's turning, but that little dude's just laying there dead. And so it's got to be us. It's got to be you and me, the church. It's got to be vibrant. We've got to be alive. And I'm telling you, you got to use it. See, you can get into what I call the used to syndrome. We used to be a great church. We used to sing great songs. We used to do this. And then it gets personal. I used to be a deacon. I used to be a Sunday school teacher. I used to be faithful in my attendance. I used to tithe. Oh, I used to do a lot of those things. Well, let me ask you a question. What's happened? What's happened in your life? Have you drifted away from God? Have you gotten too busy for God? And see, it can happen to all of us. It does happen. We're in a rat race society. And if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in it. I will. You will. We do. And so we've got to be careful individually to cultivate our relationship with Christ. That's why we need devotionals and prayer time. And we need your church. You need to be faithful in your church. You're going to hear great songs like this. You're going to hear preaching in, in your connect groups. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to be taught the Word of God. And that's why we've got to be plugged in and connected. That's why we call them connect groups. 
because we're connected. Here's a great truth. The church is only as alive as its members. That's a good word. The church, which is us, is only as alive as its members. Now look quickly in Ephesians chapter 2. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 2. And look in verse 1. Look what Paul writes in this this, uh, passage in uh, Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you, he, Christ, has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. In other words, you were walking away from God. You are walking uh, in sin, lost, and he made you alive. In which you once walked according to the course of the world, the conduct of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, but were by nature, we were the children of wrath, just as others. Just like everyone out there, we were just like that at one time. But look in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, has made us alive together with Jesus. And so, what does that mean? Here's what it means. In 1979, I was dead, Wood. I mean, I was deader than four o'clock, spiritually. Had no use for God or the church or whatever. And then I met Jesus, and he came into my life, and he made me alive. I'm telling you, he made me alive. I'm enjoying the time of my life now as a Christian. And I'm telling you, I'm alive. I'm alive inside. I have bad days. I have Charlie horses and arthritis, that kind of stuff like you do. But I'm telling you, I'm alive. And by the way, I'm going to be alive forever. I'm not going to get eternal life when I die. I got it right now. If I fall down dead right now, I'll be in heaven. I've already got eternal life. I'm alive in Christ. I'm not dead. I'm alive. And when you hang out with me, you're going to know where I stand on Christ. Not perfect at all. But I'm going to tell you, I love Jesus. And it's going to show. Sooner or later, he's got to come out. Amen? But if you're dead, if you're dead spiritually, you're just walking around like dead folks out there, dead men walking then who knows you're alive in Christ? He's made you alive. The church has to be vibrant. We've got to be alive. Christ has made us alive. We're his bride. And we're his body. And so we can't neglect Christ. When you neglect Jesus, you're going to start dying. Mark it down. When you neglect Christ, and I believe his church as well, you're going to start dying spiritually. It's going to be a slow death, slow leak. But you're going to go this way. Amen? I like what Jerry Vines said. Listen to this. Dr. Jerry Vines said this. Some members need a six-month sentence to a dead church, and then they would appreciate their vibrant church. Amen? You ever been to the dead church? I preached in some. I wish somebody just got up and went to the bathroom. I mean, just some movement. Somebody cough. I mean, somebody do something. I mean, it's just dead. And so that happens every now and then. 
It happens every now and then. Listen to this. The 911 call came in from the downtown church. Please send an ambulance to the church. I believe someone is dying right here in the pew. They're unresponsive and there's no pulse. Please hurry. So the paramedics rushed to the church. It was about an hour later before they arrived to the emergency room with a man in the ambulance. Well, the doctor said, what took y'all so long? I've been waiting on you. The paramedic said, well, it's like this, doc. We arrived at the church. There were so many people that appeared to be dying. It took us searching through five or six people before we found the right one is having a heart attack. <laughs> that is a dead church. Amen. Number two. Sardis relied more on their past victories than on their vision. They relied more on their past victories than their vision. Look in verse 2 and 3. Look what he said. You're a dead church, he said. Jesus called them dead. But be watchful and strengthen that which remains. You still got hope. You still got hope. You are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Look at that. Remember how you have received and heard. Hold fast. And by the way, repent. Get right. And therefore, if you don't do that, I'm going to come as a thief and I'm going to remove your lampstand. What do you say? I'm going to remove your lampstand. And so we got to be careful that we don't rely on past victories and, uh, and not on our vision. Most churches die because they keep doing the same thing they've been doing and refuse to change. That is a fact, Jack. I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. They refuse to change. They refuse to have young people come in or change, get rid of, let step out of their position, let somebody else, things like that, just all kind of stuff. And they slowly just die because they refuse to change. Things are changing. They really are. And the Word of God never changes. God never changes, but things do, and church does. And sometimes we can't keep doing the same old thing. We've got to change some things sometimes. And you have to have vision. And that's my responsibility as your shepherd. I'm to cast the vision. Along with our staff, we're to lead you in a vision for this church. And we've had that. Patsy found it the other day. I knew I had it. I was looking for the vision that I had when I came here about a week or two when I was preaching. I took a yellow pad. I wrote it down, all the vision things. I just started writing three-month to six-month vision and then I wrote a three- to five-year vision. And I wrote it on a piece of pad. And I preached it and showed it to the church. And things like, we need a youth pastor. Pastor, we, don't even have, we ain't got but two youth. That's all right. We're going to have some youth. We need, a, we need a worship leader. Worship leader. We don't even have a choir. Bless God, we're going to have one. And I kept preaching that and just casting that kind of vision. And God just began to move. And see, God wants you to trust him. God wants you to believe for the impossible. I never would have thunk all of this. But I saw some of it, but Brother Trent saw it. Dr. Earl Trent, he really helped me with a vision, I'm telling you. But anyway, I, I can't rely on 1992. I can't rely on 2000. I learned from it and thank God for it. But I'm telling you, it's 2018. What are we doing now? Where are we going now? And what are we doing for the kingdom of God? That's what we got to look at, church. And that's what I want to help you with. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people will perish. Rick Warren said, where there's no vision, the people will find a new parish. And they will. A lot of you have. A lot of you have left some churches that might have been dying and had no vision and not vibrant at all. And you say, well, I can't keep my kids here. I can't stay here. And so I never want that to happen to Lindsay Lane. And unlike Sardis, Lindsay Lane has continued the vision over the years. And God's greatly blessed us. Jonathan Swift said this, vision is the art of seeing things that are invisible. Everybody in here who's a member should have gotten a letter from your pastor this past week. I sent letters out to 584 households, membership of our church. In that letter, I diagrammed somewhat of our vision for the coming years. Your staff and I had a staff retreat, and we began to examine. We always evaluate our church, and one of the things we said, do the people in 2018 know our vision? We know where we've been. We've been great. God's blessed us. He's given a good vision, but do we have an... And I, I took that seriously. I, I began to pray, and I got along with God, and, and God gave me the three E's that I outlined in that vision for 2018 and further. And I'm telling you, God's going to bless us. We're going to equip the saints. We're going to evangelize the lost, and we're going to engage the church. That's our vision. We've got to equip you to get involved in the church, get involved in the kingdom work. We've got to reach people out there. We've got to grow with new people coming in. There's people lost. And we've got to engage the church in missions and ministries to get out there in our community, get out there in the world where the people are, and so we can reach people for Christ and so we can be vibrant and God can bless us. I like to see the baptismal water stirred. I know you do. And you've got lost friends, and I've got lost neighbors and loved ones like you do. And we've got to tell them about Jesus. So I hope you read that letter. By the way, we're deeming August as Catch the Vision Month. I'm going to take a sabbatical from Revelation for the month of August. And we're going to have three lessons in our connect groups on those three points, and I'm going to preach on all three of those in August. And we're going to teach you the vision. We're going to share the vision with you. And we're going to pray to God you catch it. Because we got work to do. We've got work to do to Jesus comes. I hope he comes tonight. But if he doesn't, I want to be found faithful. I want to be found working in the ministry for my Lord. And I know you do too. So I'm excited about our vision. I hope that you are as well. Let me give you number three. Sardis. May had experienced rigor mortis set in, but there's always a remnant. Now, some of them were dead. I mean, just dead wood. Certainly, rigor mortis had set in on them, but I'm telling you, there's always a remnant. Look in verse 4. i got to hurry. Watch this. Verse 4. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Here's this word, overcomes again in every one of these churches. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garment. And I will not blot his name out from the book of life, but I will confess his name to, before my Father and before his angels. If you've got an ear, you need to hear today what the Bible's saying, the Spirit of God's saying to us. I remember Ezekiel. If you read in Ezekiel, there's a, there's a section there about the valley of dry bones. I mean, they were dead. I mean, they were just bones rattling. Boy, Ezekiel began to pray. And you know what God said? Hey, these bones can live. 
These bones can live. So if you're dead this morning, maybe you drifted away from God. You said, well, that's me. Listen, you can live. You can be vibrant again. you got to do what he says. Watch, remember, and repent. And God will restore the church, and God will restore you. These bones can live. Lindsey Lane East today, Andy John King's over preaching today. He was our youth pastor. We sent him over there for over four years ago. We went over there and met with the church. It was Christ's Way Community Church. They only had eight people left. Eight senior adults. I'm talking senior adults. And I went over there and met with them. I carried Andy John Wimby. Went over and sat down with them. And they said, listen, we want somebody. We don't want the bank to foreclose on our church. We want somebody to take our church. I said, well, listen, if we, if we come over here and, and we start leading this church, things are going to have to change. The organ's going to be gone. That, that, that choir you got there, a little five or six chairs, we're going to probably take that out. We're going to, it's going to be a new, we're going to try to reach some young people. Here's what they said. Eight senior adults. That's what we want, Pastor. We want some new people. We don't want to die. We don't want the bank to get our church. And we prayed about that and brought it before the church. And we purchased that church. We sent Andy John and Brittany King over there. And he became the pastor over there and had five couples that went with him. And that was four years ago. And they're running over 200 now because God brought life back into that church. Two of those senior adults has already been gone to be with glory. But there's, there's four or five. They stayed there. And I, I was over there. I preached for Andy John. He came over here not long ago, and I was over there. I saw a few of them. I said, what do y'all think? Yes. Yes. And I said, yes. 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 <laughs> yes. That's what I'm talking about. The church was dead, but now it's alive because some things changed. Jesus got in it. And when Jesus gets in the house, things are going to happen. Things are going to change. But if we sit here on our morals and good intentions, nothing's going to happen. Sing to me. Move me if you can. It's not going to happen that way. You've got to come in here ready. You've got to come in here expecting God to move. Expecting to sing. Clear your throat. Take a tablet or something. Get ready to sing. Do like me. Bring your little water with you. Amen, Dwayne? Sing. And I'm telling you, God's done a great work at Lindsay Lane Needs. We're trying to find another one. Our contemporary service is over there watching me right now. We would love to take our contemporary service and launch them out somewhere. They're not going to grow as much where they are right now. But they'll grow. You put them out there in the community, they're going to grow. We're going to reach people for Christ. That's our goal, by the way, is to reach people for Christ. You know, God, God didn't, God's not into, I mean, oh, my word. There's two profound promises he gives us here, and I, I'll be quick and close. Look at this. Number one. The promise, he says, first of all, you'll be robed in white garments. Wow. If you're going to heaven, get ready. You're going to be robed in white garments. You see, the Romans used to have white, the togas and all of that, those festivals that all dress up in white and have their parades and all that kind of stuff. It's a sign of victory. That's why they did that. That's why they would dress in white, because it's a sign of victory. And see, Jesus said, when you get to heaven, you're going to be robed in white. Because you have overcome and you are victorious. And so we're going to be dressed in white. Our garments have been defiled. He said, look at what he says in verse number 4. 
I have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garment. In other words, they stuck with Jesus. A few. He's always got a remnant. Always got a remnant. Even in Israel, as a whole, most of those have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's got a remnant. And by the way, he's coming back in the Millennial Kingdom to deal with that. There's always been a remnant. By the way, Lindsay Lane East, those eight senior adults, remnant. They didn't cash in the towel. They didn't quit. There's always a remnant. It's there ready to do something while the others just die out. And so I thank God for them. I really do. And so Zechariah chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 talks about, defi- talks about Joshua and Israel defiled their garment. It, it speaks of that. Zechariah chapter 3. They defiled their garment. They were in sin. Israel sinned against God. They, dri- they got into Baal worship and all those kind of things. And, and God dealt with them. Remember they built the boat golden calf and all of that? God dealt with them. They repented. And God said, you defiled a garment. But I've forgiven you, and I'll restore you, and I'll clothe you in white garments. Amen? In verse number 5, look at it. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. Look in Revelation chapter 19. Very quickly, Revelation chapter 19. Look over in chapter 19 and look in verse 8. 19 verse 8. And to her, this is the church... And to her it was granted to be arrayed in, arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is a righteousness, righteous acts of the saints. And see, he's going to forgive us. He's going to wash our sins whiter than snow. Right? And he's going to clothe us in white. It's going to be awesome. Now, the second promise he gives them is your name will not be blotted out of the book of life. Very quickly, I want you to watch this. Look what it says there in verse number 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Now, what is he talking about here? It's a lot, a lot can go into this, but I want you to really hear what he's talking about. He's saying uh, in, in, in Psalms chapter 69 and verse 28, it says, Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. He's speaking about those who refuse the Lord Jesus Christ, who de- defile God, who have no use for God, the lost. They're going to be separated. They're going to be blotted out of the book of life. Now, Exodus chapter 32 and verse 32 talked about Moses. Moses said that God was fixing a deal with all the ears. He was going to wipe them out. He said, listen, if you're going to do that, just take my name out of the book. And God said, I'm going to take the names out who don't obey me, who refuse me. I'm going to take their name out of the book of life. Read it. The Exodus 32, verse 32. Read it, what it says about, he said, I'll take their name out of the book of life if they rebel against me. You better be careful how we handle God in these days in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus told his disciples, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your names are written down in heaven. A new song. Your names are written in heaven as children of God. Now, I want you to look in Revelation chapter 20 very quickly. I want you to see this. Don't miss this. I'll get there in about three years. I'll get to chapter 20. But I want you to look in chapter 20, verse number 12. This is the great white throne judgment, end time judgment for the lost. Look what he says. And I saw the dead, 
small and great, standing before God. And the books, plural, were open. These are the books that we're going to, he's writing down every act that we do and all those kind of things. The books were open. And look at this, singular, another book. Not books, but another book was open, which is what? The book of life, what he's referring to here in chapter 3. It's the book of life. He's going to open the book of life up. And the dead were judged according to their works by these things which were written in the books. Now look in verse 15. Don't miss it. Verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. By the way, do you know the Bible says there's a hell? Don't let some heresy preacher tell you that it's not. The Bible is very clear of a lake and fire and brimstone for those who are separated from God. He just said, if your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life, you're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Now look in chapter 22. Look at the ch- verse 27. Chapter 20, I'm sorry, 21, verse 27. Chapter 21, verse 27. But there shall by no means, no means, none, shall enter it heaven... Anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, how do you get in the Lamb's book of life? I hope my name's in there. Do you hope your name's in there? Mm -mm. I don't hope my name's in there. It's in there. Because I'm a preacher? Mm -mm. Because I'm a good husband? Nah. Good, no, not, not a good father. It's because I met Jesus in 1979. And see, my name was in there, but it's not blotted out. The Bible says that the book of life was from the foundation of the world. All the names were in. All the names were in at the foundation of the world. But those who are lost are blotted out. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Jesus, nah, he never received me. He thought about it. Pastor Dutch was preaching. He almost came and got saved, but he didn't. Mm-mm. Name's out. Her name's out. Oh, she had good intentions. Mm-mm. Lord, did we prophesy in your name? Did we cast out demons in your name? Mm-mm. No, Jesus. Out. Serious stuff. Serious stuff. Are you dead spiritually? You've got to ask yourself this question. I do too. Are you dead spiritually? I heard about an eccentric pastor like Pastor Dusty. You know what he did one day? He told his church, he said, you know what, church, you're dead. Told them that. You're dead. What I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to prove it to you. If you'll be back tonight, we're going to have a funeral for our church. And I'm going to show you who it is. It's causing our church to die. We're going to have his funeral. Y'all be back at six. You can imagine, packed house. Standing room only. Pastor wheeled a casket right there in the front of the church. Had a casket there. Had it opened up. He said, I told you all this morning you were dead. And you are dead. I'm going to show you who, who done that to us. What I want you to do, I'm going to pray. I want everybody to come up one at a time. I want you to look in the casket and see who it is. Killed our church. And so they went by. And the pastor had placed a mirror in the bottom of that casket. And everybody that came by looked in that casket and saw themselves. I have killed the church because I'm dead. 
It can happen to Lindsay Lane, folks, as good as this church is. If you're not cultivating your relationship as a part of the church, you can kill the church. I can kill the church. We all can. But by the grace of God, God's made us alive. Christ has made you alive. He's made me alive. Let's be alive in Christ. Let's don't put Ichabod on our church. The glory of God has departed. Let's don't be a Sardis. Amen? We'll be a Philadelphia church. I'll talk about it next Sunday. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us, Lord. We desperately need you. Lord, help this invitation. There's some people here who are dying. There's some people here who are dead spiritually. And so, Lord, I'm praying for them today. They would come with seriousness and do business with you. Father, help them take that first step, God. Help them to see for maybe the first time or maybe many times they've rejected you, but maybe they would come today and say, I've been dead. I'm I'm dying. I need Jesus in my heart and my life. Maybe I, I, I was a Christian. I was a used to be. I used to do this, but not anymore. And I need to repent. I need to come and get right. Maybe play at the altar. Maybe talk to one of the pastors. But if you're here today and you, God's spoken to you and said, you, you need to come. You need to go down there. You need to really get right with me. I'm talking to you today. Will you do it? Father, give them strength. Give us all strength. Some need to join this church. Some need to get on board. Some need to repent. Some need to pray. And I thank you for Lindsay Lane, how you've blessed us. But Lord, let us not get complacent and grow weary in well-doing. Help us today, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come? Let's stand together. Make your way right now. You just come on right now. Come on down. Dwayne, you lead us and you come. Every day.